Lots of righteousness tends to belong So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all His awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the Word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, 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 keep your love. And we're talking today about how to wait on God. You know, if you've been waiting for the Lord to, if you've offered up your prayers and you've been waiting for the Lord to answer you, and let maybe it's something very personal, maybe it's something you've only talked to God about, well, wait on God in faith and confidence. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, let's go to Psalms 27. These are incredible scriptures. We're going to read it slowly to allow the Lord and the Word of God to just marinate your soul and give you that comfort and that peace. Let's start in verse 7. It says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When we use our voice, when we cry before the Lord in that sincerity and in that pureness of heart to just say, Lord, I need your help. When we cry before him, we can know that he will have mercy upon us and answer us. But don't you love how this is very personal? Have mercy upon me. We can put ourselves in this scripture. Lord, answer me. It says in verse 8, when thou saidst, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Isn't this incredible, this, this desperation? And I love how David here said, Lord, when you told me to seek your face, my heart agreed with you, and I will do that with everything that's in me. And that's what we get to say to the Lord. Lord, I'm obedient to you. When you ask me to do something, I do it. So Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, answer me. I'm seeking you, Lord. We get to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. That's entirely appropriate. In fact, he wants us to have those conversations with him. Just like it says, the Lord says, seek ye my face. And when our heart says, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Man, watch how our lives just open up with the glory of God. It's that simple understanding and that simple knowledge that when God says, hey, hi, son, hi, daughter, will you seek me? When our heart enjoins him and says, yes, Lord, I will seek you. Whew, nothing can stop us. Nothing. Not at all. This is Psalms 27. This is verse 10. It says, when my father and my mother forsake me, 
then the Lord will take me up. There's a lot of disappointment in the world. There's a lot of disappointment in the natural arrangement and organization of what we see with our two eyes. A lot of disappointment. But guess what? Whenever, whenever there's that disappointment, our heart is seeking God. So our heart knows the Lord takes up. When there's disappointment in the natural, God takes up in the spirit. And we are never disappointed in what God does. I can guarantee you that. God always comes through in perfect, miraculous strength and courage and confidence. And we'll, we're going to get more on that too. So stay tuned because we will never be forsaken by God. This natural world, the natural organizations, biological parents, mm, yeah, could be, could be. But let's put our hope and trust in God. The Lord will take us up. We can put ourselves in the scripture. The Lord will take me up. It's very personal. It's very individual. It says in verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. Yeah, we need, the Lord is so gracious and so kind. He gives us a very plain path. God is not the author of confusion. He's very direct. He's very simple. We get to trust the word exactly as it's written and believe God is exactly who he says he is. And when we say, Lord, teach me thy way. Lord, I want to know your ways. Watch how he does that according to your own personality. He gives you unique experiences and unique perspectives. And then you can read the word. And when you do, it just opens up to you in incredible ways. Teach me thy way, O Lord, also includes being led of the Holy Spirit. We talk about that in every show because it's incredibly important to be baptized, to repent, and be baptized in the rem- for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And that ushers in the gift of the Holy Ghost. So if you haven't heard that before, if you're not sure if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're not really sure about how to know whether or not you do, all you need to do is reach out to us. You can go to getyourloveon.org. We will answer you. If you'd like to get baptized by someone with the Holy Spirit, reach out to us. We will connect you to the family of faith and help you get that infilling of the Holy Spirit to fully learn God's ways. Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God inside us. And it's a wonderful thing to be led of the Holy Spirit, to allow God to lead us down that plain path by the Holy Spirit. So again, we have more resources there. If this is the first time you're hearing of that, don't let it be the last. Check out GetYourLoveOn.org and dive in because I'm telling you, that is the ticket to your answers for the rest of your life. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being led of the Holy Spirit is the absolute saving of your soul. Let's go to verse 12. It says, Deliver me not unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. This is happening right now in this land. Are your eyes open? Are you seeing it? It's happening right now in front of us. And guess what that means, too? God's great deliverance is happening right now in front of us as well. 
because the word of the Lord is true. And it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when there are enemies, there is God's deliverance. Boom. That's how it works. And it says in verse 3, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is an incredible scripture. Incredible. How do we prevent the fainting of our determination? How do we prevent the fainting of our faith? It's believing to see the goodness of the Lord. It's believing God is exactly who he says he is. That's how we prevent that. And sometimes we do have to cry out with our voice and say, Lord, I know you are the great deliverer. I know you have a plan for me, for my personality. I know you've created me. I've been obedient, Lord. I got baptized. I'm walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm doing all the things you ask me to do, Lord. I know you're delivering me. And then move forward. Let your voice be heard. Let God hear you in your own personality, in your own way. Let God hear you. Because in verse 14, this is awesome. It says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So many challenges begin in the heart. So many challenges and and wonderments and you know, potential waverings begin in the heart. But that's why it's so cool that earlier in verse 8, it says, God asks us, seek ye my face. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. When our heart, that center of who we are, that center of our being is seeking God, he shall strengthen our heart. And then there won't be that wonderment or that those diminishments or we won't be disappointed because we will be of good courage as we wait on the Lord. And then it actually in verse 14 repeats itself. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When the word repeats itself, that's a good reason to pause and say, well, let me consider what is being said here. Well, the Hebrew meaning of the word wait, this is really cool. It means to expect, to await. So uh, we know what's coming. We're just letting time pass to see it fulfilled. It means patiently, tarry, stay where you are. Don't go running in 15 different directions looking for a different solution. Wait, tarry, stay there. Hold fast. Know that God is doing the work. The root of this word wait is bind together. When we bind ourselves to God, when we say, Lord, I know your ways are perfect. I know you don't diminish us. I know you don't discourage us. I know we'll never be disappointed in you. I'm waiting for your perfect solution. When we bind ourselves to God and his ways to his mind, We'll allow that passage of time as necessary, and we'll know we will expect that God is doing exactly what we asked him in our prayer, that he's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Christ said, ask anything in my name and I shall do it. Isn't that wonderful? 
What a cool guarantee. Have you challenged God on that recently? Have you? Have you talked to God about that scripture and how it applies to you personally? Isn't that neat? We get to do that. The Lord gave me a really cool analogy. Consider this. When you go through the drive-thru, let's say you're stopping at a burger joint, maybe in and out We're here in California. It's a popular one. Um, let's say you're going in and out You put your request into that speaker, and then you wait. <laughs> you don't know that they're slapping some mustard or secret sauce on your burger at that point. You don't know if the fries are in the fryer right then. You just sit and you wait. And you tarry. And you allow the passage of time. Why? Because you've been taught that your expectation is on the other side of that window. They give you the package, you take it, and you enjoy. How much more should we expect that from God? When we loose our voice, when we put our requests in before the Lord, Lord, I'd like a a Whopper and a fry, and then expect him to do it. Except it's much more grand with eternal, eternal consequence. How much more should we expect God to fulfill his word, to fulfill his promises, to be exactly who he says he is? Because God is not a man that he can lie. So he absolutely is exactly who he says he is. We need a spiritual mind to even understand that, my friends. Because in the natural mind, we've been disappointed so much. Because in the natural, we've been taught that there is disappointment. There is failure. Well, I have a scripture here that says God never fails. So time to get a spiritual mind to understand God. Time to get a spiritual mind to expect of God. And then watch how, yeah, sometimes, you know, if you're in that drive through line, sometimes there is a little bit of a longer wait. And you do kind of go, man, this is a long wait, right? But that doesn't mean that you think you're not going to get your burger and fries. <laughs> that doesn't mean you, you doubt that, oh, man, they don't know how to do this at all. I'm going to have to go to another drive through line. No, you just tarry. You wait. You expect. And how much more so should we do that with God? How much more so should we encourage ourselves to do so before the Lord and encourage those in our life. Also, hey, you ask God for that prayer? Guess what? God's delivering on it. Wait, Terry, expect. There's one question that you may want to ask yourself in this matter. There's one question is, is what you're waiting for worth waiting for? Is the right spouse worth waiting for? Is the perfect solution worth waiting for? Is that beautiful bundle of joy worth waiting for? (laughs) The answer is yes. So then wait for it. (laughs) That's all. Simple. But we also have the beautiful knowledge of God to rely on that strengthens us. It's like it said right here in Psalms 27. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. So we do rely on God for that strength. We do rely on God for that wonderful endurance. And so getting to know him is really important. And again, stay tuned. We have two incredible messages that help us get to know God better 
as individuals, according to our own personality, and then we'll be able to use this knowledge through all circumstance, through any waiting period, through any challenge. If you're waiting on that right person in your life, if you're waiting for that right job, if you're waiting for that perfect healing, expect God to do it and then wait on him. Let's go to Isaiah 40. These scriptures are incredibly powerful, and they are the reason we can have full confidence in waiting on God Almighty to strengthen our heart, to give us that that pulse every single day. Okay, Lord, I expect you to do it. I expect you to do it. I put my request in, and I know you're going to fulfill it. Let's start in verse 10, Isaiah 40, verse 10. It says, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. God sees the bigger picture. So stay tuned for part three of the bigger picture because God sees it. It's before him. It says in verse 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Isn't that beautiful? God customizes his work for each one of us. He customizes it. There's no cookie cutter approach. God doesn't try to put a square peg in a round hole. No, he creates a square peg for a square hole and creates a round peg for a round hole. And it's beautifully fitly joined, fitly joined together. This I love these scriptures. Uh, I love these scriptures so much because they really outline the incredible power and majesty and the wondrous works of God. So let's go to verse 12 now in Isaiah 40. It says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or, being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? The Lord did all of this. God Almighty is in complete control because God Almighty is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He sees all eternity. He knows how everything is meant to play out. So with our natural understanding, we're capable of, you know, just an itty bitty 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 very, 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 very minuscule fraction of the understanding that our spiritual mind can give us. Let alone when we say, Lord, can you show me how you see this? When we do that, I'll tell you what, life becomes really exciting. When you get a spiritual mind to look at things through spiritual eyes and then ask God for more understanding and ask the Lord to show you his knowledge and his judgment. I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing to have. It says in verse 15, this is again Isaiah 40. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket 
and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. (laughs) That's how big God is. That's why, you know, next time you're watching, I don't know, Congress or the United Nations or some level of international government, or you hear some phraseology like, oh, internationally renowned, you can give yourself a little chuckle because now you have the knowledge of how much larger God Almighty is, the God of all creation, the God who is your God, who will feed you like a shepherd, who will gather you in his arms and carry you in his bosom and lead gently you as you're with young. Isn't that wonderful? That's how big he is. And see, that's again, the natural mind always tries to make things seem bigger than they are. So they come up with these fancy councils and these fancy groups and, and, you know, try to try to create this infrastructure that makes certain people seem more important than they really are. Reality is God Almighty deems what is important and God Almighty thinks you are important. You're so important to God Almighty that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall have eternal life. That's how important you are. So again, the nations, they're as a drop of a bucket, counted as as the small dust of the balance, not even a pebble, the small dust, the kind of stuff. (laughs) Isn't that neat? So next time you see some big shot, I don't know, maybe speaking behind a podium or stumbling through words behind a podium, you know what to do. Give a little chuckle because God sees him or her as a small dust of the balance. Okay, let's skip down to verse 21. We're on Isaiah 40 here. This is where it gets really, really cool. Verse 21, it says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood? From the foundations of the earth. It is he, speaking of God Almighty, that sitteth upon the circle of the heaven, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Now, interestingly enough, it says the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Well, the word inhabitants means those that dwell, those that are just living on the earth. Well, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? Guess who we're dwelling in? We dwell in God and God dwells in us. We are no longer dwelling in the earth. We are we're part of the world, but we are not of it. And so that's why I just said how important your soul is, how important you as an individual before God is. That's why we, he says, yeah, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Those that don't dwell in God, those that are just dwelling in the earth, they're as grasshoppers. As soon as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as soon as we accept that free gift of eternal life and walk in his ways, love him with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength, which is the first and great commandment, then we are the the very, the most precious thing in the universe to God Almighty. And again, you're going to hear a lot more on that. So hold on to that and then keep tuning in to hear how the Lord continues to reveal that beautiful mystery. It says in verse 23, this is God Almighty. This is what God does. This is what God does. It says that bringeth the princes to nothing. 
he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. <laughs> Again, if you're seeing someone behind a podium stumbling through some speech, that's vanity. Yep. So the Lord knows what he's doing. Verse 24, it says, Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Again, when we watch with spiritual eyes, we'll be seeing all of this. So ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to show you, Lord, how are you answering these prayers? Because I know you are. Show me how. Show me your ways, Lord. Show me how you're accomplishing these things. It says in verse 25, To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? The Holy One. Don't you love the confidence and the declarations of God Almighty? This is who we rely on. It says in verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things? <laughs> behold, when we look at the stars and the sky and the beauty of everything around us in nature, behold, who hath created these things? And it's entirely appropriate to say, Lord, thank you so much. I love you so much for giving this to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It says that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might. So God knows the totality because he's mighty. So he can. And again, if, if there's somebody who's doubting God's capable of doing perfect things or doubting that God's capable of of relieving us from sin, sickness, and disease, or that it's not possible to live free of sin. You might hear that around in religious circles. Well, that's just not true because by the greatness of God's might, he can do all things. He is great and mighty. It says in verse 26, the last part, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. I love wrapping my mind around that one. Not one of God's creations faileth. Not one of God's plans fail. Not a one. <laughs> Wrap your brain around that. And when you're waiting on him, count on that. Well, Lord, you, this is quite a unique plan. It sure does uh, require me wait for a while. But I know you're not failing. I know you're succeeding. I know you're victorious. Okay, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to tarry. I'm going to expect your perfect ways, God Almighty. Because not one faileth. That's Isaiah 40, verse 26. Write it down. Put it on your mirror. Make sure that that is something you cling to. God does not fail. Never has, never will. Eternally victorious. And he's for us. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. And again, you're going to hear more depth, more depth of, of what that looks like for you as an individual. Verse 27, it says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? 
that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Isn't that neat how that whole chapter outlines how immensely grand and powerful and mighty God is. So that by the end, when when the scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, we have been given every reason to wait upon the Lord. We've been given every confidence that God is doing exactly what he said he's going to do. So that when it says, The Lord shall renew their strength. I believe you, Lord. The Lord shall mount them up with wings as eagles. I believe you, Lord. And they shall run and not be weary. I believe you, Lord. You're capable because God never gets weary. God doesn't faint. Isn't that neat? We get to believe God is exactly who he says he is and accept nothing less. We get to know him, trust him, and wait on him. Because then we'll get to be part of his glorious work. And in Psalms 72, 18, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. Only. So when we wait on him, we become part of those wondrous works. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. It's up to us to wait on God to be part of these works because guess what? God never fails. So his work is going to get done. The only question is whether or not we choose to be a part of it. And a man who always taught us who and what we were before God Almighty, Brother Bob, my spiritual grandfather, a true apostle of God, the founder of the true fivefold ministry decades ago. He founded the true fivefold ministry and diligently sought to ensure that the pure word of God went out across this land. And he always taught us how to get before the Lord as an individual, how to pray before God as an individual, and how to know God answers us as individuals. This is actually a continuation of last week's message, um, started in John 14, and it continues more about Jesus. And we'll also, after this, have a part three of the bigger picture from our beloved friend, Trish. And while last week we began both these teachings, if you're just joining us and you you haven't caught last week's show, that's fine because these messages do stand alone. Brother Bob went on to be with the Lord a couple decades ago, ministered extensively in Canada. So you're going to hear references to Canada in this message. And we chose to leave them in because these are spoken by the Holy Spirit. So God will accomplish exactly what's spoken of. So tune your ear to that and listen for it. It's really a blessing. But here is more about Jesus from our wonderful friend, Brother Bob. Greetings today. I wish every one of you could be here with me today and feel the good spirit, feel the peace and the joy. 
It has been requested this week that I minister again on St. John 14, and I think I'll just start with the 20th verse. So many want to hear how and why about Jesus and what his personal relationship with each individual is at this time and in this dispensation. So let me start at the 20th verse. I think that's where I left off in one of my previous broadcasts. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is that day for you to know that. This is the time that Jesus is talking about right now. At that day, what day? The day that you receive him as your personal Savior. Then you will know that you have the Father in you and Jesus Christ in you. In the book of John, in the back of the Bible, Episcopal John, it says, He that hath the Father hath the Son also. Or he that hath the Son hath the Father also. Because why? Jesus and his Father are one in the self-same Spirit. At that day you shall know, right now. This is that day that Jesus is talking about. Right now. At this hour. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. The ones that love Jesus will keep his commandments. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest or show myself to that person or to him. When the Bible speaks of him here, he is speaking of his body or his chosen people. When he speaks of him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? How is it? that you will manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Mm -hmm. We will come unto him and make our dwelling or our abode with him. Isn't that something? Now, this is God talking to his people again today. This is the Lord himself talking to you personally. He said, if you'll love me, we will manifest ourselves to you. That's how he's putting it. In very simple terms. Folks, right now is the day of salvation. This is your time. Whoever you are or wherever you are, it is your time to simply and in simplicity to accept God and his son Jesus Christ in his fullness for your own soul and your own benefit. It is for you now. Today is the hour. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Now, folks, you have your Bible. You have a good King James version of the Bible. That is the words that Jesus wants you to know and understand. You can read it for yourself and understand it from this day forward. Because he said, I want you to keep my words. Now, if he tells you he wants you to keep his words, he isn't going to make this Bible hard to understand or hard to read. Read it for yourself. That's the way to get close to God. Read the Bible for yourself with your own understanding. I'll repeat that. Read the Bible for yourself with your own understanding. God will give you an understanding of this word for yourself. The Bible is of no private interpretation because the Bible is spirit and it is truth. It is the word of God. 
And every person has a different understanding of different verses to suit their soul because God made that soul. It says the word is God. So therefore, he will let that word go in you and be used in your mind and your soul according to your personality. Mm -hmm. So don't try to make the Bible of any private interpretation. That's what's happening today. Too many people are trying to interpret the Bible. They neither know where of they affirm nor where they got their message. They're just talking, just playing church, just playing Christian, or just plain playing with your soul. Come on now. I'm telling you people something. God wants you to look to him as an individual, not as a group, but as an individual. Each individual is responsible for his own soul and for his own understanding of this word. Uh-huh. So you take the understanding that God gives you. It says, and my father will love you and we will come unto you and make our abode with you. I translated the word you instead of him here. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus was speaking in a past tense there and a present tense. Therefore, I made it individual toward you. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. You see, Jesus always gave his Father the glory. He knew that the Father was all power. And he knew until he returned to him that he was still in the flesh, and the flesh would profit nothing. That's why Jesus never made himself of any reputation. Because he said, the Spirit giveth life. The Spirit is what gives the life. That this flesh profits nothing. Without the Spirit, your flesh is worthless. It's just like an old dried up prune in the sight of God. It's just dust. He said, dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. But if you're filled with his Spirit, when this body goes back to dust, and your spirit goes to God when you leave this body, then at his appearing on the resurrection morning, your body will come out of the grave glorified and come to meet your spirit. I've had people to ask me about that. Now you know. Now you know the workings of God's spirit. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, speaking of his flesh, being yet present with you in the flesh at this time. But, he said, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall, positive, teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, when you read this word today, it is written upon the tables of your mind and your heart. Whether you understand it or not, as far as your natural mind is concerned, it is still written on the tables of your mind and your heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, then all you have to do is open your mouth and God will fill it. Like my ministry today, I never have to read placards. I never have to take thought of what I'm going to say when I get before these cameras. I never have to think about what I'm going to teach. I just let the Holy Spirit in me do the talking. And that's what you're hearing today. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit talking through me. But when I'm not anointed, I have nothing to say to anybody. I have nothing to say. But when I'm under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, like I am today at this time, then I can give you a perfect understanding of the word as it's written in the Bible. Now, here's one of the greatest promises God ever made to his people. Now, hear me good, Christian people. Hear me good that you that would like to be a Christian, because this is one of the most fantastic things that Jesus ever uttered while he was on this earth. He said, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you with you. My peace I give unto you. 
two of the most fantastic statements that have ever been uttered on this earth. Peace. That means peace of mind, body, soul, and spirit. That means peace of family members. Peace and joy and love among one another. This teaching is opposed on the earth today by the natural man. They would rather have their hates and their squabbles and whatever. But Jesus said, my peace I give free unto you. It's free. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to join an organization. You don't have to join anything except yourself to Jesus Christ in your own mind, body, soul, and spirit. Because it is free, folks. Remember that. The gospel is for you and it is free. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your material. God doesn't need a thing. But you need him. And once you get him and his peace, he will take care of everything else materially. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't have to beg for money on television. God has his faithful people that have found this peace through my ministry. And have found Jesus Christ. And God has prospered them. Therefore, they support this type of ministry. They support my ministry. They support the TV ministry. That's why I won't beg you for money. I don't have to. There's too many of you out there that know, just in your own mind and soul, to do whatever God tells you to do and to give whatever God tells you to give. Uh-huh. This is the true ministry. Jesus never did beg for anything. God's ministers, if they're true ministers, don't have to beg for a thing. I heard some of the people in the audience say amen there under their breath. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. He says, I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. He says, I give not as the world gives, give I unto you. Now here he said it again. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Did you know most of you people are suffering from a spirit of fear? You're letting that spirit of fear torment you. Don't let it. Just say fear I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, depart from me, and you'll be free from that moment on. It's that simple, folks, to get to God. You've got to talk to him like you would talk to me. You've got to talk to God just like I'm talking to you today, in simplicity and in sincerity. And once you feel the love of God and feel his spirit come upon you, that your hair stands up at his presence, then you'll know that God is on your side. And now is the time to get God on your side. It's that simple. It's just that simple. A little baby, when it's hungry, begins to cry, and its parent automatically knows to feed it. Well, when you start crying out to God, he automatically will feed your soul and your heart and your mind and your spirit. He will open the understanding of the Bible to you when you start to read it. When you gather your family together as a family unit and begin to seek him, you that have broken families right now, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and ask him to bring your family back together. I don't know how many letters I've had in the recent weeks of families coming back together after they heard the gospel and had an understanding of the true love that God wanted them to have and feel. It says, you have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. You see, now, Jesus is the mediator between God and man. 
Jesus is the mediator between you and his Father. And if he does the mediation for you, he does a good job. He will get you through. But you've got to call on him, you've got to ask him, and you've got to talk to him. You have to take the first step. You take the first few steps, he'll take the same amount of steps back toward you. You call on him and he'll answer. He said, and now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, you might believe. All God wants you to do today, folks, is believe. Just simply believe. Just believe what I say simply. And feel the difference in your way that you feel and think and understand. It is good to feel it. You can feel God. You can feel a peace. You can feel the joy. You can feel the laughter when it rises up in you. You can see the difference in your family life. You can see the difference and feel the difference in how you sleep at night. You can see and feel the difference in how you think. You can also see and feel the difference of the foolishness of the world. You can see through the foolishness of the world. Mm -hmm. That's what God came to do, is give you an understanding of the foolishness about you, so that you won't enter into it. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The prince of this world has the people's minds blinded right now. Satan himself. Blinded through materialism. Blinded through worry. He'll use any tactic to keep your mind from turning to God. He'll use politician story. He'll use high taxes to torment your mind. He'll use anything to destroy your mind toward God or to keep your mind from turning toward God. But I want to tell you something. Once your mind turns toward God, then nothing will bother you anymore. God will provide your taxes. God will provide your needs. Uh-huh. He says, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. He said, arise and let us go hence. Folks, just arise today out of your little dilemmas and out of all your family problems and out of all the natural problems and just leave them behind and turn to Jesus. He said, come on, let's go. Let's get on the move. Why sit here and die? Two old beggars back in, the, I think, in the book of Kings, isn't it? In the book of Kings, they were having a famine, and the Assyrians were oppressing Jerusalem. And these three lepers said, why sit here and die? If we're going to die, let's go over to the Assyrians' camp and at least either let them feed us or kill us. Uh-huh. In other words, they got up out of their dilemma and said, either way, we can either live or die. But when they got over to the Assyrians' camp, God had made a rumor go through them, and they had left their camp and left all the riches, and all the beggars had to do was accept the riches, a type of turning away from their natural life and turning to the goodness of God. But they had to get up off of their bottoms and start doing something about it. As long as you sit and say, I can't, you won't. As long as you sit and say, I, can't, I don't believe that, you won't. But did you know there's no I can't do's in the New Testament? It's all I can do, all things through Christ which strengthens me. You can do anything through Christ. Here's why. In chapter 15, the first verse of St. John, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. In other words, He's the vine, and God the Father is the overseer. He's overseeing you from now on. He will oversee your works. 
He will oversee your life, your family, your friends, your neighbors. I don't know how many neighbors I've gained since I've been on television. People that I didn't even know existed have come to me and said, I'm your neighbor up here. Well, I'm your neighbor over here at Mabel Lake now. I saw you on television. I heard the gospel preached. I feel so good. I'm so glad I have a minister for a neighbor. And I'm so glad that you're neighborly. Uh-huh. You other ministers that are looking in on this, you could be a little more friendly too. After all, you're supposed to be representing God. Mm-hmm. You're nobody but a public servant. So don't get anything high hat about you. In other words, don't get your collar too far up on your neck. It'll choke you. <laughs> I never did figure a man was a dog that he had to wear a collar. Now, you can take that any way you want. I don't care. But I'm getting tired of the barking dogs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I said it and I'm glad. I want to hit you every once in a while with one of these, so keep watching. You never know what I'm going to say next. But you know it's the truth. People are tired of the barking dogs. Uh-huh. They're tired of the dead lions, too. But of course, I suppose a live dog's better than a dead lion. Solomon said that, I didn't. If you want to figure that out, figure it. But here's the answer. Jesus said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Even the branches in him that doesn't bear fruit are going to be taken away or discarded. Hear this, preachers. If you're a branch in him and you're not bringing forth fruit, if you're not getting the juvenile delinquency in your area cut down, if you're not getting the youth saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're not accepting other ministers that come in that do preach the gospel, you are going to be taken away, saith the Lord. Away, away. Mm -hmm. And every branch that bringeth, beareth fruit, he purges it. Or in other words, he gives it more. That it may bring forth more fruit. God has given me more fruit every day. Dozens of converts write me every day. Hundreds of people write me a week. Thousands of people write me a year and tell me what good things God is doing for them through my ministry. So I know I'm not going to be taken away. I'm a branch in him that's fruitful. And I don't boast when I say that, only in the Lord. Mm -hmm. One woman wrote in and said, I think you're kind of conceited. Well, I've got a right to be conceited because <laughs> I'm not unseated. I'm sitting right here preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. So if any of you think I'm conceited, come around and visit me. You're welcome. Shake hands with me. Jack said, you can't help but like the guy. Mm -hmm. Try me. You'll find I'm not too bad off. But don't come up here and try to cheat me or swindle me, because I'll tell you off. <laughs> I hate thieves and liars, especially these local thieves and liars around here that you try to hire to do a job and won't do it for you. Well, I got on that subject again, didn't I? But you know why I'm on that subject? Jesus said, now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. I'm clean through the word of God, so I'm not going to let a thief and a liar come up and mess up my towels. My towels are clean. My soul's clean. And you people don't have to let the thieves and liars mess up your soul any longer either. You can just tell them, look, go away. I don't like you. You have that privilege after you preach the gospel to them and they won't hear. Everybody knows I'm a righteous minister mm -hmm. because I have the Lord my righteousness. And someday, if you have any spiritual fortitude, you can say the same thing, too. So come on, young people, rise up. You older people, rise up. You elderly people, rise up and speak your mind, because you have a good mind. You have all experience of this world behind you. You know what you're talking about. Children, listen to your parents, because Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it bide in the vine. 
No more can you except you abide in me. Come on, folks, get the family together now and start abiding in the vine. Abide in Jesus. Turn to him. You thieves and liars out there, turn to Jesus Christ and make an honest living for a change. Do an honest day's work. Have respect for the other driver on the highways to start with. Get some good manners when you come in and out of doors and when you're sitting in a restaurant or, or uh, when you're on the street. Let the nation know that this is a Christian nation now. We're a democracy. We're supposed to be under Christianity. You atheists out there that don't believe in God, write your books about no God. I want, I'd like to read one of them. I'd like to see what you use for material. Uh -huh. You atheists out there aren't even supposed to be a citizen of this country if you don't acknowledge the supremacy of God. You're not even supposed to, you're not even, a, uh, you're not even a decent citizen if you don't acknowledge God and his righteousness. Mm -hmm. The Constitution of Canada says you must acknowledge the supremacy of God to be a citizen of this great country here. So what's the matter with you citizens out there? Are you afraid to acknowledge God? Afraid somebody's going to be angry with you? Afraid you're going to lose a friend over it or something? Well, you better get the only friend you got because in the fifth verse it said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You business people want to know why you're going broke? Start saying grace over your food and thanking God for the business he's already given you. Instead of going out and try to steal something from somebody, or cheat somebody, or change the price on them when they walk into your business. Or ignore them. Get rid of those uh, smart aleck tactics. Get rid of the stupidity and the ignorance. Turn to Jesus. Now I'm putting it to you straight today, but somebody... My Lord, somebody's got to talk to you and tell you. <laughs> if you don't love me, you're going to hell because you said, love thy neighbor yourself, and I'm your neighbor. Oh, yes, I am. And I'll be the best neighbor you ever had if you'll treat me right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But you come around me and try to cheat me, and I'll tell you off right quick because i got the power and the spirit to do it. Well, I see my time's getting slow and short. Just about time for me to say goodbye. But I want to say to you folk, I love you wherever you be. I want to say hello to the prisoners and the prisons, and thank you for writing me. I've answered all of you. I really have. I'll keep on answering your questions. You that have written in about spiritual things, I have sent you scripture. I've prayed over your letters. I'm praying for you now. I love you people very much. I love my fellow Canadians with a passion. I want to see you saved, see you blessed, see you prosper. I want to see you come through these hard times, as we call it right now and through this inflation with flying colors before the Lord. Turn to him and he'll stretch your dollars. He'll teach you how to cut your grocery bills. He'll teach you all things. Most of all, he'll teach you how to love your neighbor as yourself. God bless you much. I'll be waiting here for you next week. Bye now. That was Brother Bob. More about Jesus. Isn't it awesome just to hear the truth of God's word in a very straightforward manner? <laughs> We love it here. That's what we'll keep doing here on Get Your Love On. Um, again, more resources are available at getyourloveon.org, including, as as he mentioned, as Brother Bob mentioned, if you write to us, we will answer. We'll send you the scriptures. We'll send you the, the um, answers to your questions because we have an incredible team here. And it is true fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that are all here to minister to you and your soul. So write to us and we will give you the answers to all your questions and make sure that your soul prospers in the knowledge of God Almighty. And now this series, it's called The Bigger Picture, and it's being done, it's being ministered by our wonderful friend Trish, a true prophet of God who waits on the Lord specifically again for your soul and to make sure that your 
your questions are answered and through the word of God. So this is part three of a series called The Bigger Picture, and she does a wonderful job kind of resetting it. So again, if you've missed the previous episodes, no problem. You're going to really enjoy this. So without further ado, our wonderful friend, Trish, this is part three of The Bigger Picture. I've been working on a series of scriptures about getting the bigger picture to help Christians in their walk to always stay focused and remember with God, there's always a bigger picture. I don't know of anything greater than the crucifixion and how that came about, how God had to prepare people for what was coming and the resurrection that happened afterwards and what God did following that. It was the most incredible dispensation of time on the face of this earth such a transition that took place. It was an amazing hour and also a very traumatizing hour. So I'm taking the people of God through it step by step, just taking a real good look at what the saints at that time endured and bore with and received and the other end of this process. So earlier I talked about how Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was coming And we got up to where Jesus had actually been betrayed by Judas. And he's in the hands of the Romans now. He was handed to them by the Jews. They knew that it was against their law to kill anybody. And they wanted Jesus killed. They wanted him dead. They wanted him gone. They didn't want him to have effect on people anymore. So they handed him over to Pilate. And said, you take care of this because you have that ability to put him to death. Now, Pilate had gone in and he'd taken time and interviewed Jesus. And back in John 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find no fault in him at all, nothing at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you. Now this is Pilate speaking. You've got this custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. They cried out for a thief to be delivered unto them. And Pilate just went, threw his hands up, I'm sure. And he went back in to Jesus and thought, well, whatever his reasoning was, he thought, well, I got to appease these Jews somehow. So then we're going to go into part three and starting in John 19 in verse one. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Well, the scripture just says, well, he took him and scourged him. In verse 2, it says the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on a purple robe. You know, if you just sit down and rapidly read through this, just glaze over the top, 
I would highly recommend Christians believing people of God. Take your time when you read the word. Take your time to pray. Take your time to wait on the Lord and ask him questions as you're reading, just like I did here. I said, he took him and scourged him. And I said, Lord, what does it mean when they say they scourged you? So I did some research and I'm going to cover it now because I really want you to understand the heart of God and the heart of the Lord and the incredible sacrifice that he made and the incredible love it took to go the places he went and bear the things he bore. A scourging in Roman times was 39 lashes. A cat of nine tails was used. Now, when they did these lashings on Jesus's back, they used a cat of nine tails. Now, a cat of nine tails is used with each tail having a piece of metal or bone embedded in the end of it. So it's one whip that has nine separate tails on it. And every tail has a piece of metal or bone embedded in the end of it. So after the soldier struck Jesus Christ with the lash, the soldier dragged the lash across Jesus's body in a whipping motion. So they struck it into him where all of the bone and the metal would attach and sink into the flesh. So when they raked it down, it would split the flesh open, hence by his stripes. Every one of those lashes established nine gaping, stripping wounds that would rake down his body. The piece of metal or bone shredded Jesus Christ's flesh as the soldier whipped it across his body. 39 lashes was the legal limit because 40 would kill a man. And because this was a cat of nine tails, it was actually 39 times nine or 351 lashes. 351 stripes shredding his body open with this. This was a society that had gladiators, men who fought to the death in the Colosseum for sport. They did it for sport. They would kill people for sport. This society would later turn hungry wild animals loose on Christians in the Colosseum. These cruel and hardened soldiers made sport of the flogging. The objective was to do the most damage without killing a man. And they determined that 40 lashes would actually kill them. The human body couldn't take it. Well, I found this was interesting because when I was reading all of this and looked into all of this, and up until that time, as history says, they used to have their own gladiators fight for sport, killing one another. But after they were given permission by the Jews to kill one of their own, they then took up killing Christians. This society would later turn hungry wild animals loose on Christians in the Colosseum. And they did it for sport. They literally, what the Jews were doing here is they opened up open, fair game on the Christians to be used and taken and seized and killed in whatever fashion they wanted. Because they had the precedence that was established here 
when they handed Jesus over. And anybody that followed after Jesus was open to that same harshness and cruelty. It's quite a thing that they did here. It's quite a thing. But God also did some things too, and we'll go on into that in a bit. And in verse number two, and the soldiers plaited or twisted a crown of thorns. Now, these weren't just little prickly things. These were big, massive thorns. And they twisted it and put it on his head. Well, they put it on his head in such a way that they pounded it down into his scalp, into his head, so it would stay in place. They didn't just lightly put it on top of him. They made sure that it stayed in place. And they put on him a purple robe to mock him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Well, Jesus, as you read through the scripture, you're going to see that there were things that were preordained, that were appointed for Christ to be afflicted with and endure for our sakes. Like it says in the scriptures, with those stripes that he bore in his bodies, we're healed. It opened up that healing for us to be able to receive that from him. He paid the price for it. So every person that's asked for a healing from the Lord and has used that scripture to quote it, I want you to really know with from the depths of your heart and from your very bowels what he bore for us, for us to have these incredible, incredible, miraculous healings because of his great love for us. So they smote him with their hands. I'm going to go over to Isaiah where it was prophesied of this. Isaiah 50 verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, and you heard about that, he freely did it, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Yeah, they hit him, they spit on him, they mocked him. And why did he do it? Verse 7, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Regardless of how they tried, regardless of what they did, Jesus knew he would not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who is he talking about? God the Father. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Really? He's standing with God. God justifies him. There's nobody going to get over top of that. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Anyone that's going through anything, I don't care what it is, you stand on that. If you are a believing soul, a Christian that stands on the word of God, know that God will help you. You get in these scriptures and you repeat them. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. That is an absolute promise. I don't know of a single one on the face of this earth that isn't going to age, grow old, and die and have to leave off these physical carcasses because they do perish. They perish. From the moment you're born, it starts the process of aging. From the moment you're born. 
Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. There you are. Trust in his name and stay fixed with God. Don't be moved. Don't be shaken because nobody is getting away with anything. In verse 11, Behold all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire and the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lay down in sorrow. You think you're going to rise up against the Spirit of God? And anything is going to rise up against the Spirit of God? Even if they flame a great big huge campaign or fire? And in the sparks that they've kindled, I'm telling you, they shall have of God's hand and they shall lie down in sorrow. That's going to be the end result. Whether it's upon this earth or when they lay down in that grave, they're going to be met with sorrow. And I do believe they will be met with sorrow here and they will be met with sorrow in the hereafter. God is just and there is no escaping that. It's high time for the fear of God to prevail upon the face of the earth for all men, all men. Those that know God, who truly, truly know God, they will have a deep respect and reverence for the sovereignty and for the Spirit of God, the power and authority, and knowing who and what he is. All right, we're going to go back into John, and we'll go back to verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again. He's going to the Jews again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. He's hoping that this is going to be enough. Look, he scourged them. He shredded the bits. He's got that throne on his head, that crown of thorns on his head. And he's showing them to him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Look at the man. Look, he's just a shattered wreck. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Isn't that something? They didn't have pity. They didn't have compassion. They were so bloodthirsty. They were so bent on doing what they wanted to do, getting rid of him. They just cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The only reason it happened is because it was preordained. Just remember, God at any time could have intervened. But it was for Jesus to fulfill what was prophesied about him, for him, and fulfill this incredible, powerful working that we're going to journey through here. In verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. See, he wanted the Jews to do it, and they said, Nope, we have a law. He's got to die. He made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Isn't that interesting? 
This man wasn't a Jew, but when he heard that saying, it made him afraid. And yet these religious proselytes had no fear of God at all, none whatsoever, and they cried out for blood. In verse 9, And went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Ooh. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? How arrogant a statement is that? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. He says, you wouldn't have any power at all except God gave it to you. You wouldn't be able to touch a hair on my head. Believing Christians, I want you to know that. Know that covering and know that power and authority and that shelter that God has over you. And nobody can touch you except that God allow it. And if he ever allow it, it is for his purposes. Bottom line, you will come out on top. You will. All right. And he said, but he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. The organization in this case, the religious one that conspired amongst themselves in a back room, the organization that conspired in a back room and sought to find sons of Belial to lie against Jesus in this case and had a conspirator that would betray him. You see, they went into those back rooms, they closed the doors, and they conspired amongst themselves. Okay, how are we going to get rid of this guy? We're going to find people that can lie about him, and we're going to find people that are going to turn on him and hand him in. Because there was such a protection over him. They were conspiring in those dark places. It's no different today. People, it's no different today. Verse 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. He wanted to let him go. Oh boy. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friends. Uh-oh. There they go. He wanted to let them go. He knew he was innocent. But they threatened him. Right there. They threatened him. And he didn't want to lose his position. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. If you let him go, we're going to tell him that you're not Caesar's friend. We're going to go right to Caesar. We're going to talk against you. And he, well, then Pilate therefore heard that saying. He brought Jesus forth because he didn't want to lose his position or his political power. So they threatened him and he was more afraid of losing his position or his power and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. He says, Fine, behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, 
We have no king but Caesar. They just announced God and they vowed an alliance to the world. That's fearful. Then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Well, he handed him over to the ones that did the crucifying and they led him away. And he, speaking of Jesus, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side. So he had one on one side, one on the other, and Jesus in the midst. So Jesus was in the middle. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was night of the city. It was right next to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. That's it. It stands. And it stands to this day as a mark against them. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, hung him up on that cross, took his garments, and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Well, the cross-reference there was over in Psalms 22, 18. It says, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You see, it was already prophesied that that would happen. Earlier on, it was prophesied. And Jesus knew that before he came here. He came here and every bit of it had to be fulfilled. I've mentioned it before. I'm going to state it again. Be very, very aware of your words and the power and authority authority of your words when it is spoken under the anointing through the Holy Ghost. Because once it is released out into the air, it does not fall to the ground. And it will go forth and do that thing that's been proclaimed. That's why Jesus, when he was describing things to the disciples about what was coming upon him, even though they didn't understand it, At first, he spoke as something that was going to happen. But once he said to Judas, the betrayer, what you do, do quickly. After that point, he spoke as if it were already done. Why? Because he put it into motion with his declaration. He loosed it. Your words are powerful. Jesus didn't step it back. He just went forward to fulfill it. But once it was loosed, he spoke as if it were already done. Remember that once you loose that declaration, when it is given to you by the appointment of God under that anointing, it is done. See it that way and stand on that from that moment forward. That's the best way to go forward 
people of God. Now in verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Now I want you to feel what those people were feeling. Think about that for a moment. There's her son. There's her son, absolutely shredded and nailed to a cross, suffering a great affliction and dying up there. And Jesus, knowing he had to fulfill all things, he looked down upon her. In verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. I want to go over into Matthew 12, verse 50. And how did Jesus say this? What was the basis of him saying this to one of his disciples? And this is what qualified that disciple to fill that role. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. You know, it's an interesting thing. When Jesus proclaimed that, he proclaimed that God was his Father. People of God, when you have that infilling of the Holy Ghost and Jesus is within your member, your Father is God the Father. So who is your mother and your brother? But those also that have the infilling of the Holy Ghost, they're your brethren. And your father is God the Father. So that's how he could look upon that disciple and said, verse 27, Then saith he to the disciple, back in John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Do you see the bond of God there? Not the lineage according to flesh and blood, but the Spirit of God. That infilling of that Holy Ghost, that appointment of God in a soul's life. And when you do the will of the God the Father, and you have that infilling of the Holy Ghost, He's your Father. Those that do the same are the brethren. There's your family. There's your family. Verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. Now he knew he'd done it all. That was it. He appointed that care over his mother. Look at the love that Jesus has. While he's dying on the cross, he suffered all of this affliction. He still has the heart and the care to linger and look upon his mother and make sure that she was cared for for all her days while she had to be here on this earth. And he knew it was done then. And he says, I got one last thing to do. He saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it into his mouth. Now, over in Psalm 69, verse 21, it talked about this. See, it was preordained. It was prophesied ahead of time, and Jesus had to fulfill it. In Psalm 69, 21, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So what is this gall spoken of here? I said, what is that, Lord? What is the significance of it? 
So I'm going over to Deuteronomy 32 and verse 32. And it talks about it. I looked at a cross-reference, what the significance of that. In verse 32, it says, For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. This is what they fed to Jesus. This is what they fed to him when he was here, and they still do to this day. Sodom and Gomorrah were so evil and so wicked, God literally rained down fire and brimstone on them in judgment. And their grapes, their fruit, the fruit that those ones bore were bitter, and they were full of poison. What they spoke and the acts that they did were full of bitterness and were evil and poisonous. So their speech is full of poison. The speech that they spoke and cried out against Jesus was poisonous. Crucify him, crucify him. He's a malefactor. He's evil, he's evil. Kill him, kill him. And the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me? and sealed up among my treasures. All right, what's stored up? I'm going to tell you in verse 35. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. That's what they were storing up for themselves in everything that they did. The acts that they performed and the things that they did belongs to God. Vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. They set themselves up for it. They campaigned. They are now going to receive the judgment and the repercussion of their acts and deeds, of their fruit that they bore. For the day of their calamity is at hand. Don't think anybody's going to get away with anything. And the things that shall come upon them make haste. They're going to come quickly. They're going to come quickly. That judgment it doesn't linger forever. God is just. He says, I've got absolute judgment on them now. It's righteous judgment because I caught them in their evil deeds. And see what they did to Jesus, they were literally being caught in their wicked deeds. So don't be surprised if Jesus needs to find occasion on someone, if for a momentary dispensation, their hand is raised against the righteous. Don't kid yourself. God's got them. He's got them, and vengeance belongs to him, and he will requite in due season. So we're going to go back to John again, John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, that was that bottom part, that last part that he needed to do, he said, it is finished. He fulfilled everything that had been proclaimed, everything that had been prophesied ahead of time, he said, it is finished, that portion of it. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He gave the ghost back to God the Father. That life that was sent to us from the beginning when he was with God and said, I'll come. And he came in, that, in the form of that child and that virgin was born of a virgin and born in that manger. And he said, I'm going to return back now. And he returned it back.
And there's the mother watching him do his last acts and watching that beautiful Holy Ghost leave him, that beautiful spirit leave his battered body. She didn't know at that time what he went to do. But when he left there, he did. He went down into the nether parts for three days and three nights. And he released captivity. All those that were captive down there, they slept. They were loosed. And it was voiced abroad that there were ones that were risen up out of the grave and walking around in the streets when he left like that. Now, you can read about it in the other Gospels. It goes into more detail. But for time's sake, we're going to just keep moving forward through here. I want you to know the journey and how it shook the people in that hour. It shook them to the core to watch what they did to their beloved, what they did to their Lord and what was happening. And they had to bear with it, not knowing fully everything that was yet going to come. It wasn't given to them yet. Okay, over in verse 31, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. They were preparing for the Sabbath day. For that the Sabbath day was an high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. They said, well, these guys is taking too long for them to die. And if they linger any longer, it's going to be the Sabbath day. And we can't have these dead carcasses up here on the Sabbath day. Oh my gosh. So he wanted, they wanted them to go and break their legs so they'll die quicker. Oh, barbaric. I looked up the Thayer's definition of Sabbath. It's the seventh day of each week, which was a sacred festival on which the Israelites were required to abstain from all work. Okay, so they're not supposed to be doing any work. They've got to abstain from that. The institution of the Sabbath, the law for keeping holy every seventh day of the week. So in this dispensation, in this time, that Sabbath day, they had to keep that day holy. So they couldn't have any appearance of wrongdoing here. And they certainly don't want Jesus's carcass hanging up there for everybody to be looking at. And looking sideways, especially with that placard there. Boy, you better get him down off of there. There's a single Sabbath. That's a Sabbath day. Seven days is a Sabbath week. The Day of Atonement. That's amends or reprimation made for an injury or wrong. Expiation. Here's some synonyms for expiation. Redemption. Redress. Restitution. Recompense. Requital. Penance. Okay, this is the day where you give penance or restitution for something you've done wrong. In Judaism, the religious organization at that time, an individual's reconciliation with God by means of repentance and confession of one's transgressions. That's what they did under the law. Now, atonement in Christianity, that's the reconciliation of God and humans brought about by the redemptive life and death of Jesus. What's actually happening right there. The law was being done away with and they're moving into a whole new thing. Jesus took it upon himself to pay that penance and pay that recompense and restitution and requital for all sin, for all time. So it wasn't an, a weekly or daily thing where you go up and you repent of everything you did. I know there are some organizations 
that once a week they come up and confess their sins and then they do whatever penance they have to do to get rid of those sins. And then as soon as they're done that after that holy day and get everything cleared up, they go out and start and do it all over again. And it perpetuates a continual working of sin. Jesus said, I'm going to do away with that. I'm going to do away with it once and for all. And that's why he had to go through what he went through. That's why he did it, was to free you from that wheel that goes around and around and around and perpetuates sin. There's no more altar call. The altar call is between you and God. You don't have to go up in front of a whole bunch of people and tell them what you did wrong, or any man, for that matter. You go straight to God. You go straight to that one that gave everything for you. You just go to him. Say, I'm sorry for anything I've ever done. Lord, forgive me and, and fill me with your spirit and wipe away all sin out of my life. And from this moment forward, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to turn my life around. I'm giving it to you. You guide me from this point on. I did a miserable job of it myself. The world didn't guide me anywhere decent. So now I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give that a try. Guess what? It works. Because I actually did that. And it works. To this very day, I attest. Personal, first-hand experience. It works. In verse 32, back in John, Then came the soldiers, and they brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. Now, Jesus had done his part here, but the word is still the word, and so it's being fulfilled even yet. Even yet, because it didn't stop then. Just because Jesus had to leave off the carcass, he isn't gone. And the word isn't gone. Just like today, the word remains today and is the same yesterday, today, and will be the same tomorrow. So they saw he was already dead. They didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. The reason they did it back then is he wanted to make sure Jesus was good and dead. You know, they didn't break his legs, but he wanted to make sure. And when they pierced his side, they did it on an angle where it went in and it went severed right into the heart. And nobody could survive. Like I said, these guys studied on how to kill a person. And they knew that nobody could survive that piercing. And when he pulled it out, forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that sought bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. This was done. He saw it. He knows. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken, and again the scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Over in Zechariah 12, verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. That's what they felt. That's what they experienced. 
And it was spoken of back in Zechariah. They're going to look upon him. They're going to do these things to him. And it's going to be such bitterness. Could you imagine standing there and beholding your firstborn being crucified? Being tortured? And crucified? And what it does down in your guts and your belly and how they felt? Over in Zechariah 13, 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hand? Then he shall answer, Those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. To be betrayed and suffer this at the hands of your very friends. That's the ultimate betrayal. Do you know it happens today? It happens today. It's very applicable today as much as it was applicable then, as much as it was foretold. Because the working of those things work until this very hour, until it's all done. Be sober, be aware, be vigilant. Be sober and aware and vigilant and stand firm and be not amazed at anything that happens. But know this one thing, that God is just and vengeance belongs to him and he will repay. He has a purpose in everything he does. So what is he going to get out of this? This was gut-rending for them back then. Absolutely gut-rending for them. And yet they had to bear it. They had to endure it. So I want you to take courage today, no matter what you go through, even if it's gut-rending, even if it's more than what you think you can bear, throw yourself upon the Lord and say, Lord, give me courage. Give me courage because he will help you through this. Jesus called upon his father to strengthen him and he did. His resolve was set and he did. He set himself to the cross and he did it. Just keep going forward. Just keep going forward and set your resolve to keep your eyes fixed on him, knowing he's going to accomplish everything that he needs to accomplish. He's not going to fall short in anything and nobody's getting away with the thing. So going on. In John, and we'll go back to verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Remember, the Jews now have loosed a campaign. They've loosed a campaign against Christians, and they had to hide for their lives. Because there's a permission that's been loosed that they could be killed. The Jews have risen in a campaign to destroy Christians. They have. So they had to be very stealth. They had to be very careful. And so they went secretly, besought Pilate. Now, Pilate didn't care. He didn't care at all. So they went to Pilate. They besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Pilate said, sure, you can have him. The Jew came to get him. Well, fine, you can have him. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and olives, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So they just took his body. Now what? Well, let's bury him properly. And they wrapped him up. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never a man laid. There laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, 
for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Well, the Jews were getting ready and preparing. They took Jesus' body and they laid it in this tomb because it was right close to them. They could sneak it in there where nobody knew what they'd done. And they wanted to hide him and tuck him away. Now we're going to go on into John 20. We're going to see how it's transforming here. Now they've suffered this incredible gut-rending blow. It looks like all is lost. God didn't swoop in and rescue their hero. The worst thing that they could ever imagine has taken place. And now they're just going, this is this gut blow and they're reeling from it. They've done everything they know to do. They took care of his body, tucked it aside. But here's Mary, John 20, verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. So she's coming. While it was yet dark, see how she came before the sun came up unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now what? They thought they'd been so careful. And here she comes up to the sepulcher and the stone is moved. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. See, they don't yet know everything that God is planning on doing. They don't know. All they know is what's immediately in front of their face, what they immediately see, and what they immediately perceive with their limited understanding. That's why I'm saying, people of God, step back. Don't give place to emotion. Step back and get that bigger picture and get your feet steady by the Lord. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together. Now see, they didn't just walk casually along. They ran. They're in this fever pitch of emotion, this heightened emotion. They've killed him and now they're taking him. And they ran. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. Yet he was not in. Oh, then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeing the linen clothes lie. He went straight in there. Nothing was going to stop him. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. Oh, he is gone. For as yet, they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So there they are. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know the fullness of it. And this is what's hitting them. Oh my, blow upon blow upon blow. One thing after another is not, it's not going their way. They don't seem to be getting a break. It's just one thing after another. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So they just turned around. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have any leader there. So they just went home. What else could they do? They were just, they felt defeated. They've killed them. Now they've taken them and they didn't know what was going to happen next. They just went 
home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. She wasn't going to budge. It was such a gut blow, she just stood there and wept and wept. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. She's so distraught. But do you notice how the angels, why are you weeping? Look at the kindness there. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me, where hast thou laid him? And I'll take him away. Please let me have him. Please. And Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. She recognized his voice. I know what that feels like. I've experienced that. It was the most incredible thing. I know the elated joy that welled up inside of her. I know that despair, that heartbroken despair. And I also know that elated joy. Very on in, in my walk when I was very young in the Lord, the Lord would come and visit me and he did say to me, I didn't know who he was. It's before I got baptized and filled with Holy Ghost and I didn't know. Nobody taught me a thing. But this figure would come in the form of a man, but in the spirit and would visit me. And I always felt at peace. And he would always comfort me with what he would tell me. And I would ask him, would show me things. And I would ask him, what is your name? And he said, I can't tell you now, but one day you'll know me. I remembered that. I held it down in me. And after I had gotten the fullness of the word, gotten the infilling of the Holy Ghost, about two weeks after, I was very young in the Lord, but I was full of his spirit. And I went in to a quiet place. I was all alone and the Lord appeared. He appeared in a glorified form in front of me. And the power of it was so great, I fell to the floor on my knees and looked up. And I recognized him. I recognized him. And I cried out, it's you. And these tears started coming down my face. And they were warm and they were tears of joy. It was him. And the very first thing I did was reach out to grab the hem of his garment. And just like Mary, what was the next thing when she said, Master, and Jesus said unto her, Touch me not. In verse 17, he says, Touch me not. 
for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. That's exactly what he did to me when I reached out to grab the hem of his garment. He pulled back and I didn't understand it then. I didn't understand it then. It wasn't given to me. But once I went home, I began to study the word and the Lord showed me. He says, you just did what Mary did to me there. And if I had touched the hem of his garment, just as Mary, if she had touched the hem of his garment, I would have immediately been translated into that spiritual being that we will all become when we leave off this carcass. And I would have immediately been translated into a spiritual being. And that's why the Lord had to step back. And he stepped back from Mary as well because it, it wasn't her time. Mary Magdalene, after this had happened, she came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Could you imagine how those bitter tears were turned to absolute joy? Tears of absolute joy. God can do that. He does do that. And he will do that. Just stick with him. He'll see you through everything you could possibly imagine and bring you out the other side. Then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Do you notice there they had to hide themselves? They had to lock their doors and gather in secret, in private. But Jesus isn't constrained by doors. He isn't constrained by locks. He appeared in the middle of them, right in the middle. Now see, here's the healing bomb coming in. Here's the fullness beginning to come in. And their hearts went from utter despair to wow, being lifted. They're starting to see things happen. So he was standing in the middle of them. And what is the first thing Jesus said? Peace be unto you. That's why believing people of God, when you feel shook, when you're in despair, go directly to him, look right in his face and feel and drink in that amazing peace because believe me, he knows what he's doing. And there is, there truly is a bigger picture and there is an end to all things. There is. And for those of you that love him and serve him, it is a glorious end. Mm -hmm. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Look at how their, their sorrow was turned to gladness. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now that's a huge statement. Now he's saying, look at my father sent me here and I had a job to do and I did it. I'm doing it right now. I've done it. He's sending you. I'm sending you now to do your job. Each one of you, Jesus today, believing people of God is sending you to do the job that he sent you here to do. And when he did that, when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. 
Well, I'm by the Spirit, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to take a great breath in and breathe in the breath of God and breathe it out upon you, dearly beloved. <sighs> Receive the great blessing of God that has gone out into the air by the Spirit and let it blow upon the heart and soul of each and every one of you and receive the great gift that God is giving you now and through the days to come. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. See, with this great breath of God and the infilling of his Holy Ghost, there comes power and authority and a responsibility. They needed to have this breath of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, this breath that came from God and blew into their hearts and into their lives in a fullness. Now it was appointed for that to fully come together and it will as the scriptures unfold. But he did it as a precursor, as a demonstration for all of you that have the infilling of the Holy Ghost and join with it and be revived. For all of those that have never heard of it and wish to receive it, go forward in faith and God will open those doors just like he does for the disciples here. These doors will open and there will be an infilling of the Holy Ghost with a mighty rushing wind. Jesus did the precursor of that great blowing of his spirit upon them as a demonstration and the fullness of it came just shortly thereafter. So believe God, reach out to him and ask him for it and he will honor your sincere heartfelt prayers. All right, in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails and put my fingers into the prints of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I need a sign. I need a sign or a demonstration somehow, Lord, to know that you're really God and you're really moving and you're really going to do what you say. Well, Jesus understands each and every one where they are, what they're at, what their ability is. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, see, he heard Thomas. He heard Thomas. He knew Thomas. He understood Thomas. He says, Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless. But believing, please believe. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. It's so true, people. Stand on the word of God, stand on the promise of God, stand steadfast, keep your eyes looking directly at him and know and believe he will fulfill 
all things and he will do it perfectly. He's concise. He knows exactly how to lay the cards down and how to lay them down to get the most impact and have the highest hand. He always takes away the prize. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these ones that I've just read now, they are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Well, I'm going to stop this portion here. I want all of you to take heart and continue steadfast before the Lord with all your heart, with all your might, and all of your understanding. God will give you more understanding. Just understand this, there is a bigger picture, and God is just, and he really does know what he's doing. He has a purpose in everything that he does, and it will all play out beautifully every step of the way whether your feet be on this earth or whether your feet lift off this earth and are with him in that glorious place to be with him throughout all eternity, above all the heavens, target that, target that place that ascends above all the heavens and enter in those glorious courts of the Lord. Do it by with patience, faith, believing, and waiting on him. I love you all dearly. God bless you is my prayer for you, each and every one. And God direct your path and your steps to those that can give you the fullness of everything that you've cried out for you, for there are answers for every soul, always and in all things. I love you. Bye for now. Wasn't that awesome? Isn't it incredible? The mysteries that we get out of the word when they are ministered by a truly anointed Holy Spirit-filled vessel. That was The Bigger Picture Part 3. Good news is we have Part 4 coming up next week for you, my beloved friends. Tough to uh, tough to take over the mic after that. That strong encouragement, that strong faith that you, God wants you to have everything. So let's not accept anything less than all of what God has for us. Thank you so much for being here. Again, quick reminder, resources available at getyourloveon.org. We will be back next Sunday. In the meanwhile, Lord bless you mightily. Go forward in faith. Man or woman, man or woman who is so down, try. Keep your love on, on. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God. Keep your love on. Keep your love